Well, before Simon preaches, well, is going to come and bring us our reading, which is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 20. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to begin our reading at verse 9, and we're going to read through to the end of the chapter. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitutes? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. I think given that I've got a topic beginning with a chapter that says sexual immorality, I think maybe it's a good idea for me to pray to start off with. So we shall we pray. Lord, thank you for all scripture. Thank you that scripture is there to encourage. It's to train, build us up. It's to rebuke, Lord. And Father, we, uh, I just pray for tonight's talk, Lord, that this will be not just my words, Lord, but you'll use my preparation and these words and this scripture. Father, I just pray that it's your Holy Spirit that will touch our hearts to encourage, rebuke where necessary, Lord, and to train and equip. So I just pray for, for the next half an hour, Lord, would you be there with us, dwelling in us, enabling us, Lord, to move away from our sinful selves, and to look to you, Jesus, for our purity and our holiness. That's the kind of people that we want to be, Lord. So I just pray now for as I speak. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 
Once a year, presidents uh, around the world um, make a, a state of the nation address about their country, and they'll use all sorts of facts and figures to sum up the state of their nation. And I thought what I'd do tonight as an introduction would be to pick out some stats, some facts and figures about the United Kingdom, but I'm not sure there'd be too many politicians who would choose these particular facts and figures uh, in any form of uh, national address. So let's look at some facts and figures that you don't get to see very much, certainly from politicians. So faith. Only one in three people in census now would say that they believe in some kind of God. And I think it's something like 8% of people now go to church. So we've become a godless nation. Uh, marriage. Uh, lots of statistics on marriage, but there's now over 3 million people who cohabit rather than getting married, so it's becoming the norm. Uh, it's nearly 20% of, of couples. 42% of marriages apparently now fail. That's a huge number, isn't it? And this was out of a survey, of anonymous survey of 17,000 people of all ages, 25% of men and 18% of women in this particular survey suggested that they'd committed adultery at least once uh, in their relationship. And only 3% of people are now pure virgins on their wedding night. Um, that's for everybody. For religious people, people of faith, that number increases to 20%. Uh, let's carry on looking at the, some of these sexuality survey facts. Uh, I did some interesting reading for this particular uh, talk. The average man now apparently will have 12 lifetime sexual partners, and the average woman is eight. Um, there are now listed, uh, again in the Office of National Statistics, over one million homosexuals listed. That's the greatest rise in that population that they've ever recorded. And now in surveys, homosexuality is deemed just to be a norm. And most surveys will show that that's, that's what people think. And then uh, a number about um, abortions. 20% of pregnancies are aborted every year. That's 200,000 procedures done by the NHS. It's one of the most, uh, the, one of the most common procedures on the NHS is abortion. 20% of pregnancies. Now let's flick to another topic we're going to touch on tonight, pornography. But this particular um, topic is focusing on a survey in the church. So this is taken from a survey of church people. And 30% of church leaders said that they viewed pornography uh, at least once a month. 42% uh, of Christian men in this survey said that they felt they were addicted to pornography. And 15% of women actually view um, sexual material at least once a month. Grows to about one in three if you take the time periods longer. And apparently 10% of these men in this survey said they'd visited a prostitute at some point in their life. I don't know about you, but these numbers are utterly shocking, aren't they? And I think particularly so when you think about the last slide, we see that how our culture in church is affected by our culture that we live in. And that's what Paul in 1 Corinthians has been having to grapple with. We've seen over the last few weeks, haven't we, this letter to Paul uh, to Corinthians. 
Paul's been trying to deal with behaviour issues because there's been significant behaviours from the culture that have crept back into the church. So we started off looking at division in the church weeks ago. And then we started, Paul was addressing different types of immorality issues. We heard from Neil a few weeks ago that a man had been sleeping with his father's wife, we believe his stepmother, Uh, People were greedy, they were swindling each other, they were turning to other gods, idolatry. They're getting drunk when they share communion. They're suing each other. That's what Mark was looking at last week, was people suing each other. And these church people were basically reflecting the society that they lived in. Corinth was a, a busy trading port. There were people, maybe wealthy merchants, all sorts of people that used to indulging in all kinds of decadence in their society. The temple of Aphrodite in Corinth had 2,000 priestesses, but basically those priestesses were prostitutes because sex was an integral part of pagan Greek worship. So Paul's needing to rebuke these societal behavior issues that are creeping into the church. And his words to Corinth are just as relevant to us today, aren't they? Because we too, as we saw from some of those statistics, reflect the immoral society in which we live. So let's turn to the text, verses 9 and 10. He starts with a tough message, doesn't he? The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's, let's look at specifically what he defines as wicked. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived by this, what society is telling you. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, or the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul in two sentences is summarizing this immorality issue. He's saying wickedness prevents us inheriting the kingdom of God. Basically, sin prevents salvation. That's a tough message, isn't it? And we don't like being told as human beings, we don't like being told that we're wrong or our behavior is wrong. And our permissive culture, the one we live in today, aggressively seeks, doesn't it? It aggressively seeks to promote the ability to do what you like. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, I can do what I like. And I think our society also aggressively seeks to find fault with God's word and with his church. And there's one word in all of that list of sins that's become a very divisive issue within the church, and that's the topic of homosexuality. Because our society tells us that people are just born that way. And if people are born that way, and there'll be lots of uh, Christians who reflect this this attitude, then if, if God made them like that, then it can't be a sin, and therefore they don't need to be redeemed. And yet when we look at tonight's scripture and lots of others, the Bible clearly says homosexuality is sinful. Then at the other extreme, we have some churches that will take passages like this and bang on about how despicable homosexuality is, that actually it leads to horrible 
um, newspaper articles saying uh, talking about a bigoted church that hates gay people, which of course is not true. And we have the danger of potentially alienating gay people from Christian service, and we don't want that either. And I think it's a, a topic we don't talk about much in the church. And I think it's something the media try, try to kind of, it's a, it's a hot topic, isn't it? To try and ensnare Christians into saying something that will give a good headline. And poor old uh, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he, he admitted fairly recently that he does not want to say, he's reluctant to say, whether or not homosexuality is a sin. Because he ducks the issue, because he's got the liberals in his church, and then at the other extreme, the conservatives. And he does not want to cause division, and he doesn't want to create bad headlines. But I think in ducking the issue, he's actually not being truthful to what the gospel texts tell us. So I think he should try Paul's approach here. This text starts, doesn't it? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived by what society is telling you. God's word says very clearly that homosexuality is a sin. But, Mr. Newspaper Man, before you go and write those horrible headlines, let's look a little bit more at this text, because, yes, homosexuality is a sin, but look at all the other sins that are listed in that, in that text. Adultery is sinful. Greed is sinful. Thieving, slander, idolatry, they are all sins. And actually, if we went somewhere else, we'd see Jesus himself. What did he teach? That if you look at somebody lustfully... You've committed adultery in your heart. So the message is not, don't just pick on the homosexual element of of sexual sin. Yes, it's sinful. But actually, we are all sinful, including the newspaper man who wants to print those articles. If we look at somebody lustfully, we've committed adultery in our hearts. So Paul's key message is really that we are all sinners. And we all need redeeming by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So he he starts this text with a really hard-hitting message. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom. But then we get some wonderful news. That is what some of you were. Let's read that again. That is what some of you were, verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. They are glorious words, aren't they? Glorious, glorious words of hope. That is what you were, past tense. Playboy, adulterer, that's what you were. Homosexual, that's what you were. Prostitute, pornographer, that's what you were. Jesus washes you. There is no sin that is irredeemable. And by turning to Jesus in repentance, we can be truly released from whatever it is that's holding us captive or what held us captive in the past. We can be released from those things. That is what you were, past tense. Now, Paul's using these kind of big theological words, isn't he? You were sanctified, simply meaning Jesus makes us holy. We're talking about holiness and purity. We cannot do that on our own. Holiness and purity purely comes from God. And then justified, it's just as if we'd never sinned at all. Jesus really is offering this release from past sins, whatever they were, forgiven and forgotten. 
And I think they're wonderful words of hope. So if you only hear one thing tonight, if you are struggling with homosexual feelings or pornography or other kind of sexual sin, or, or maybe something that you thought was an unforgivable sin from the past, just hang on to these words. There is nothing too great, nothing too bad for Jesus to help you put into the past. That is what you were. So let's move on now and look at verses 12 and 13 because Paul starts to quote uh, a very uh, common belief in Greek society and, and I think a common belief in our society. Everything is permissible for me. That's a typical attitude of today, isn't it? If it's done behind closed doors then what's the harm in it? If I want to watch pornography or violent graphic material on the television, it's not harming anyone else. Let me get on with it. If she wants to terminate that baby, it's her body, it's her life. Let her get on with it. That's the view of our society, isn't it? The the guy that does uh, the gardening or the handyman, he wants cash so he can avoid paying tax. Good on him, he's beating the system. And today there are even websites, dating websites, targeted at married people. What are they doing? Promoting adultery, providing a service. And so Paul wants to make two points to correct this wrong attitude that everything is permissible. Firstly, he says, actually, not everything is good for you. And then secondly, he says, Really, it's not good to be mastered by anything. A lot of these sins grip us, and they end up mastering us. We get beholden to them, and Paul wants to correct that. Apparently, Henry VIII loved his food. He used to have 13 courses a day, peacocks, swans, all sorts of exotic stuff. He glugged down 70 pints of beer a week. He averaged 5,000 calories a day. When he was a young man, he had a slim waist like mine. Uh, He had, don't laugh, he was a 13 stone normal guy. And we see those pictures of the bloated guy at the end of his life, obese. His addiction to food had mastered him. And actually his resulting obesity was certainly not good for him. There's another topic that covers this this problem where things that master us. So we've talked about homosexuality tonight. There is another massive problem within church. We saw the statistics. Pornography. There's a guy called Dr. William Struthers. He's a neuroscientist and theologian. He has a strange speciality. He specializes in the scientific impact of adult material on the human brain. He wrote a book called Wired for Intimacy, How Pornography Hijacks the Male Brain. And he says this in this book, because he says that pornography damages its consumers. He says, repeated exposure to sexualized material, not just graphic porn, will change our standards of what is acceptable sexually and morally. This is known as the exposure effect. And then as a result... The generation that has been raised on pornography is becoming less able to enjoy sexual intimacy, connectedness, and the empowerment that comes in healthy sexual relationships in the context of marriage. So he believes, this guy believes, our brains are dulled by pornography. 
He believes that our relationship abilities are inhibited and eroded as a result of using pornography. It's negatively impacting intimacy within marriage. And there are other surveys that talk about self-image. People who use pornography end up with a really low self-image and then they project that low self-image onto their partners. So pornography is a very good example of something that can master you and become very unhealthy for you. So Paul wants to refute this concept that everything is permissible. He says food is for the stomach. The stomach is food, but ultimately God will destroy them both. Now the Greeks believed that physical things were completely separate from spiritual things. How possibly could your attitude towards food or sex, how could that have any relationship with your spiritual life? And I think our society relates to that view as well. We're just bodies, aren't we? We're just bodies made up of cells. We have electrical pulses that make us think and breathe and move. And when we die, we just die. So how we live our lives has absolutely no bearing on our spiritual life or our potential afterlife. That, that's the world view of lots of my scientific friends. And Paul here teaches the opposite. I want to look at five different verses that we've got in this text that really build up to this key message. Our bodies, God designed to be a temple for him. Our bodies are the temple for the living, holy God. That's an awesome thought to take away for tonight. Let's have a look at verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And then look at verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us too. So Paul's reminding us that we've got a physical body now, and we're going to have an eternal body upon resurrection. So what's the purpose of our temporal and eternal bodies? Well, let's move on. Look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And then verse 17. He who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then the the, the ultimate verse, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you received from God? Can you see the key point in all of these verses? Really important. Our bodies are the dwelling place of God. So when we repent and we turn to Christ, he, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. So if we accept that our bodies should be the temple of God, then how should we treat our bodies? We should treat our bodies as holy. And Paul goes on in verse 18, doesn't he? If our bodies are holy, and we want to treat our bodies as holy, what do we have to do? We have to flee from sexual immorality. And then Paul reminds us something really important. If you think about it, that list of sins, if we thieve, if we slander, if we tell lies, we are actually hurting somebody else. Sexual sin is the only sin where we hurt ourselves and we damage the the temple of God. 
sex is designed as a kind of spiritual glue, isn't it? Designed to unite man and wife spiritually. And of course we know that when we turn to Christ, we become united with him in spirit. So if a Christian man, as Paul says here, if a Christian man sleeps with a prostitute, in effect, he's connecting that prostitute to Christ. That's a huge thing to think through. And I think the reason Paul's focused on sexual sin here is sexual sin is doubly damaging. Hopefully what you've seen tonight is sexual sin damages our relationships with each other through pornography and through adultery, etc. And it negatively impacts on our relationship with God. And I think sex is the greatest tool that the devil has in his warfare against us. If you think about what does the devil want to do, the Lord says in his commandments, what are the two great commandments? Love God and love your neighbor. Love each other. And what does the devil want to do? He wants to break our relationship with God and he wants to break our relationship with each other. What better tool than sex or sexual temptation? Because it does both. So what should we do, says Paul? He says, run away from sexual temptation. Flee in the opposite direction. Avoid it. And then finally in verse 20, we're reminded, you were bought at a price. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice with his body. So if if Jesus could make his sacrifice with his body, Paul's calling us to make a sacrifice in our bodies by keeping them pure and holy for him, the temple of God. So I want to, that's the text done. And what I want to do now is just finish off thinking about this challenge. How do we lead lives of purity and holiness? It's very easy to talk about it. How do we do it? But I think the first point, if we finish off from where the text was, I think we need to just remember this fact. Our bodies are the temple of the living God. So if you're being tempted to do something wrong, I think we need to think, just imagine Jesus sat there next to us. He sat there as an innocent bystander about to watch the thing that we're about to watch that we shouldn't, about to do or say the thing that we're going to do. Jesus is sat there with us. The Holy Spirit is within us. I think that might help us a little bit with temptation, but I think this other point, we just have to remember Jesus sacrificed himself He endured holes in his hands, the thorns in his head, the spear in his side. He was flogged. He sacrificed his body for us. And I think the more we dwell on that, the more we can think, I am going to keep myself pure and holy for him in the way I behave. Second point. I want us to think a little bit about our time and influences. We saw all those statistics from the world we live in. We've seen that the environment we live in affects our thinking. So the more exposed to worldly thinking we are, the more difficult it is to get to to live um, godly lives. So just take a moment and think about the proportion of time that you spend on worldly activities versus godly ones. What, What proportion of your time is spent in Christian fellowship versus the time that we have with our non-Christian friends, our work colleagues? How much time do we spend in prayer compared to all the other conversations that we have during the day? How much time do we spend reading the Bible 
versus the time that we read other things, watch stuff on TV, look at the computer, play on our iPads, look at the TV. We are being bombarded, aren't we, by cultural, worldly opinion. And I think this is a particular challenge for students when they leave home. You know, they're leaving the watchful eye of their parents. They're leaving their home church. And they're suddenly surrounded by people of all sorts of worldviews. There's a culture of partying, getting drunk, sexual freedom. It's a really difficult environment for our young people to go into. So when we have young people going off to university, we should be praying for them. So a big challenge to us is how are we managing our time and the worldly influence versus godly stuff? Psalm 119 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Our our tool for avoiding sin is God's word and being with God's people, isn't it? So let's think about some practical things. How can we lead holy lives? How can we manage our time effectively? I think number one would be we have to keep Sunday holy. We have to prioritize the Sabbath, don't we? Church comes first, before sports clubs, before family commitments, before work. We have to keep the Sabbath holy. But then we move beyond Sunday. What about midweek? Home groups are hugely important place for us to encourage one another, to rebuke each other, to live alongside each other. And I know what it feels like. You come home from work and you're exhausted. And the last thing you want to do is you've galloped your food down and you, you head off out tired to home groups. Very easy to miss it. And then soon you realize you've kind of fallen out of the habit of going to home group. And I think to become holy... We need to take on board Paul's words. Let's look at the words he says in Hebrews. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So fellowship with each other, time for feeding, Sundays and midweeks, hugely important in this battle to be holy. Now what about prayer and Bible time? So discipline, isn't it? We've got to have that discipline inbuilt into our daily lives. We, we know that we cannot be holy. We cannot be pure in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit helping us to overcome our naturally sinful natures. I wonder, we've been doing the, the Lord's Prayer in the mornings, haven't we? I wonder how many of us remember every day to pray that bit of the Lord's Prayer. Lord, keep me from temptation. I certainly don't do that every day. And we have to remember also the Holy Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. So if we're going to win this battle to be pure, then we need to be praying lots. Third point, nearly, nearly coming to an end. Uh, we have to be careful what we feed ourselves on. What do we put into ourselves? I think what we eat, what we read, what we watch, both on the TV and on the computer... Do you know, they say it takes five seconds for a man to see something sexual and to be gripped by lust within five seconds. So if you're going to defeat lust, you've got to get away from that temptation within five seconds. 
So as soon as we see something sexually enticing, what have we got to do? We've got to say no, and we actually have to do this not in our power. We have to say no in the name of Jesus Christ, and we have to turn away from it and find something else to distract us. Prayer, Bible, go and do something. But we have to say no in the power of Jesus Christ. And then what about our words? Fourth point. How do we lead holy lives? Well, words reflect holiness as well. What comes out of us reflects the state of our heart, doesn't it? Crudeness, greed, bitterness. They're all a reflection of our hearts. And words can be powerful, can't they? They can build somebody up and encourage, or they can criticize and destroy. They can give wise counsel, or they can give foolish counsel. So if we're spending more time with God and less time with our worldly influences, what's going to be the effect on us? Our words are going to then be powerful as they speak words of truth and love and wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit living within us. So we need to be holy in what we say, not just in what we do. Proverbs 10.11 The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. So let me conclude. God does not call us to be a different people on a Sunday to the rest of the week. Whether we're at work, whether with our friends or our sports clubs or at university, he calls us to be holy and pure. We are witnesses in the world, aren't we? And our actions speak louder than our words. So if our non-Christian friends see us getting drunk or behaving inappropriately, joining in with them, we're being a bad witness for the Lord. And actually our non-Christian friends will simply see us as religious hypocrites. And we can't do this in our own strength. I think the key thing for tonight, holiness and purity, where does it come from? It comes from Jesus. And so left to our own devices, we're going to muck up. So we need to keep turning back to Jesus, keep turning in prayer, keep looking at the word, keep building each other up in fellowship, and keep praying. Pray that the Lord living within us will keep us from temptation and keep us walking in faith and in purity. Let me uh, close with a little bit more scripture. We're going to pray this through at the end of the service together. But let's close with these uh, words from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me, uh, before we turn to some praise, let's pray together. Let me pray first and then I'm going to leave a little bit of quiet for the Lord to speak to us individually. But should we just pray? Lord, thank you that you have defeated death. Thank you that you've defeated sin through your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, thank you that you are the one that makes us holy. Thank you that there is no sin that you will not forgive. And thank you, Lord, that once we repent, you forgive and you forget. 
And Lord, thank you, this idea that you made our bodies to be a living temple for your spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell in us, providing us counsel and wisdom and peace and joy and self-control. And Lord, forget, forgive us when we forget that our bodies are designed as your temple, almighty and holy God. There will be some of us here tonight who struggle with pornography, maybe homosexuality, I don't know. But if that's you, then just pray in your heart along with me now. Father, we don't want to sin against you in this way. We acknowledge our lust and we bring it before you. Lord, we are weak. We give in to temptation sometimes. And Father, please help us to avoid sexual temptation. Help us to flee from our sin, Lord. And instead, would you make us holy? Help us, Lord, to turn to your word and to prayer in that moment of temptation. Lord, we do not want to defile our bodies, your holy temple, with impure thoughts or impure actions. And thank you, Lord, that we can do this in your strength rather than in our own. Make us and keep us pure, O Lord. There'll be others here maybe struggling with something else that masters them. Might be a lust for money or power or position at work. Lord, if we're getting our priorities wrong at work, if our hearts are putting ambition and wealth before you, then, Lord, convict us of our sin. Help us to get our priorities right. Give us a pure heart in all aspects of our dealings with money. And show us, Lord, how to be generous with our time and our money as we serve you and one another. And Lord, some of us sin with our words. We criticize, we slander, we gossip. Help us instead, Lord, to learn to encourage and build one another up. Help us, Lord, to forgive each other, to let go of past hurts. May what comes out of our mouths, Lord, reflect the wisdom and love that comes from having your Holy Spirit living within us. Let's just take a few, just a minute of quiet and just pray that the Lord will reveal any aspects of our lives that are unwholesome and then ask him to help us to change. Let's just take a quiet minute personally with our Lord. Lord, we ask all of these things in your name, Jesus. We pray that as we enter into this week, you will keep us pure, keep us holy. Keep reminding us, Lord, that you live within us and that our bodies are your temple. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.